0: I'm Christian Chinchilla. Welcome to my podcast. An enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Hey, this is Chris. Welcome to Chinchilla Squeaks, the first of 2022. I took a tiny bit of a break a mixture of different reasons. Number one, I spent uh, just over a week with uh, with the uh, virus of the century, with COVID, which uh, didn't actually affect me in any particularly bad um, physical way, but uh, I don't know, I just didn't feel particularly motivated to do a great deal beyond kind of the things I needed to do. So that kept me a little quiet on, on some things, although I did a lot of other things, which will, will come too soon. And then also, to be honest with you, just slow news time. There wasn't too much to talk about. But now I have enough from the past couple of weeks to get back into things, and it's good to be back. I have a couple of small things I want to talk about, and then I have a sort of bigger topic I, I want to go into, and uh, we'll get there in a minute. Let's let's begin first with some discussions on crypto. <laughs> First, I'd like to begin with an article from the beginning of January from seldo.com. Crypto, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I have found this post um, really a nice summary of kind of some of my feelings on on it. And I caveat that by saying, I don't know how many of you have been listening to the show or listening to and watching my work for some time, but I was actually heavily involved with the Ethereum ecosystem via the Ethereum Foundation and... um, I'm almost having a complete blank on the consensus, that's it. Uh, And did quite a bit of work in the Ethereum ecosystem for a couple of years and then I got completely tired with it. And this article covers some of my optimism and some of what attracted me to crypto and blockchain in the first place. This sort of decentralized technical achievements, this way that you could distribute uh, resources like, well, firstly, yes, like monetary value, but also um, files, content, all sorts of things through decentralized kind of non-centrally owned uh, network and somehow also kind of reward people for what they put into that network. And that kind of thing really appealed to me, but it never really happened broadly. Um, And it mostly just became about exchanging money And that disappointed me, and that wasn't really what I was interested in. I wasn't really just interested in the speculation side, and that disappointed me. And then I suppose there was a lot of these sort of technical aspects that never really delivered, never really happened. People talked about it a lot. People were endlessly saying, oh, but it's new, it's new, it's new. And I started to think to myself, but Bitcoin is 10 years old now. That's not that new anymore. You can't keep using that excuse forever. And, yeah, uh, sort of got a bit fed up with that. And this post goes into, yeah, some nice summaries of where crypto has bought some good, could still bring some good, including some of those topics I just mentioned. But then it goes into the negative too. Uh, I think the environmental impact one is the one that is the big one. Um, also, the the... Perennial problem that crypto has is that things inside the network are useful. But if you want to get them outside of the network, it's still really, really hard. And I was disappointed to see that that never really changed and never really got any better. I had to cash out some tokens we had um, that took us by surprise that I had uh, about a year ago. And it still was a nightmare to do. And this is what a lot of people have said with NFTs too. Like distributing NFTs is easy, but then what? (laughs) And that is the problem. You cannot pay your rent with an NFT right now. You know what I mean? You have to get it into alternative currencies at a certain point. Um, I think I wrote a post on this some time ago. Around uh, you know, in an ideal world, if everything was kind of a current, it was a token. Then great, but that's not the case, and it's still pretty difficult to get things in and out of that network. The article also talks about DAOs. I I, I kind of feel like DAOs have been long since dead. To be honest with you, I am not entirely sure if I've heard anyone talking about them for some time. Um, But then more specifically, the article also talks about governance, which has been something I've also seen a lot as well. I think there was sometimes a mm, a fabrication about how decentralized and how, how open a lot of these token and crypto kind of projects could be and that often there were far less people behind them there were far less people behind them than you would hope, uh, which would mean that decision-making was not as as open as it could be. Uh, I know this discussion has come up several times around where are instances even hosted. If you're moving away from AWS and its services to um, uh, blockchain nodes, but those nodes are still hosted on AWS, then have you changed very much this kind of thing? Um, and that the share of power in a lot of these networks is still kind of the same people. So, again, have you really changed anything? And et cetera, et cetera that There's uh I found the post actually very balanced in some ways, um, and it kind of argues each point along the way for the good, the bad, the ugly, and the conclusions, which are also kind of interesting and important. It argues them in, in quite a balanced, nuanced way. And I actually really enjoyed reading it. And I think it summarized a lot of my thoughts. Taking that to the extreme, um, the extreme negative of what crypto could be, here is a post on the NextWeb Um from Callum Booth. Unfortunately, it actually looks now like the video it references is gone, which is a shame. But uh, this was a video from a project called Cryptoland. And this video was something else. Uh, (laughs) The production quality was very good, but um, mm, it sort of portrayed this uh, anthropomorphic coin taking someone around a tour of a of a crypto land and then transitioned into the founders of the company who looked so kind of slick, I honestly couldn't fathom if they were actors or not, but apparently not talking about the project and talking about how they were funding this actual island with, with tokens and <laughs> I think then we get into the kind of problems we just discussed of course um, and He breaks down in in quite a lot of interesting detail about the finances behind this project (laughs) and how it's fairly unachievable, even if they did get all the funds they are hoping for, which they haven't. Uh, And yeah, I think it was just one of those really extreme examples of where crypto can go so wrong, the ugly. And sometimes it's so hard to, if, if you can't tell if something is a joke or deadly serious, It's sometimes concerning. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's quite amazing that anyone would look back on this video they've made and think that people would take it seriously. There's a lot of cases where this happens where... I, I think there are some famous people in the world where you sometimes think, is this person very, very stupid? And they don't realise it or are they very, very clever and they realise exactly what they're doing. And there's a project like this. It's like, seriously, if you didn't think that this would be taken in a certain way by people, how could you not see that? But, yeah, it's a shame the video is not available still. Hopefully um, someone has uh, got an offline copy of it somewhere. But uh, it's quite fascinating dig into the project um, and have a look at the video if you can still find it. Okay, one more general link and then I'm going to go into a topic I want to discuss a little bit. This is On the Atlantic uh, by Joe Pinsker called What If We Just Stopped Being So Available? I feel like this is a little bit of a, a cultural aspect as well. Um, this compulsion for people to be available all the time, and the article goes into a lot of. Uh, it doesn't go into detail, but it discusses kind of the language you can use, and the, um, or the language that you shouldn't have to use in some respects around the expectations of when you should respond to an email or a message or something like that. Uh, and I know I've been guilty of it. I certainly work with people who are very guilty of it as well. I should clarify that that is not people I work with at my company. This is actually, then, this gets into an interesting cultural tangent in that, um, in different cultures, and I could contrast, for example, Germany and the US, there are very different ways of communicating. You tend to find here that a lot of German um, advisors will only reply to you if they need to. And if there is no reply, you can assume there is no need to reply. And this drives me mad (laughs) because I sometimes want to know. Um, I want confirmation. I feel like the message didn't get through or something like that. Whereas you contrast that with uh, America especially, but quite commonly in the English-speaking world. People feel a compulsion to sort of over-communicate, and if you don't, you have to apologise. And this is sort of where the article goes into and talks about the different strategies you could take, but again, how they could be misinterpreted. And when did this all begin? And when will it all end? And does it matter anyway? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think I have my own yardstick of... If no one is going to die and no one is, or no one is going to lose a lot of money or something like that, then it can wait. <laughs> um, that gets very hard to to measure, of course, um, and it's very case by case. I think I have become far more relaxed about getting back on things, and I feel like that has actually affected um, how much other people communicate with me now. I stopped responding myself a little bit. So people stopped sending me messages. (laughs) I'm not talking about like friends and family and things. I'm talking about kind of more general newsletters and things like that. Uh, It seems reasonable. Um, Maybe I should have replied to them all and said, I will get back to you. I'm not ignoring you. Please keep me on your list, et cetera, et cetera. I just have nothing to say right now. It feels kind of weird, uh, replying to a message saying you have nothing to say is <laughs> a strange kind of message to send, but maybe it's what's needed sometimes, I don't know, and, uh, what a world that we find ourselves needing to say that. <sighs> and now I wanted to dig into a topic that is not necessarily new, but is, is kind of current, and I encountered it recently, and actually the... The plethora of articles I'm going to draw upon to discuss it uh, span from a couple of years ago to actually the past few weeks as well. So it's still something um, current and applicable. So where does this begin? Well, I switched to an M1 uh, MacBook Pro recently, very pleased with the machine, but uh, there's a couple of slightly different things about it, and one I discovered the other day involves virtual cameras. Now, what is a virtual camera? Any of you who don't do a massive amount of video recording may not be fully aware of what that means. Well, you have hardware cameras, like the cameras built in to your machine and cameras that you plug in directly with USB. There is a technical definition of what these all mean. And actually, some time ago, I did a documentation job for a video module of the Linux kernel. So I actually learned about this in a reasonable amount of detail. But uh, then there's also a concept of virtual cameras. These are often, or they come in different guises. One is if you use a non-Apple um, phone as an external camera. So if you're using an Android phone, for example, there's a handful of applications that let you do this and macOS sees these as a virtual camera. Why, I don't know, but that's just the way it is. And also, for example, Open Broadcast Studio, that you can bring all sorts of inputs in, mush and change and edit and effects and all sorts of processing, and then you can actually output it all as a virtual camera if you wanted, so into another application, like Zoom or your browser or something like that. And then also the third category is some actual physical cameras. So, for example, my Logitech StreamCam has an application that lets you manipulate properties of the camera, and then it also outputs as a virtual camera. Virtual cameras and macOS have always had a slightly fraught uh, history. Um, I don't really know when this change happened, but for a while it became quite problematic to use them. And you had to, you have to still do a code signing removal you actually strip the application of code sign which is what Apple puts in place to kind of verify that an application comes from who it says it comes from and then it would work I don't really understand why that's the case but that was the fix it was a slightly odd fix, a slightly concerning fix, um, but it worked and applications like OBS never seem to have this issue I guess because they're unsigned in the first place um, but trusted, being open source, etc. Now, also, caveat to this, Zoom somehow managed to fix this without having to do code signing removal anymore. I'd be fascinated to know what they did, and maybe they could share that because, uh, well, I'm about to get deeper into the problem and they seem to have solved it. So <laughs> I'd be interested to know what they have done. I discovered that on the Numax, any native application... If you follow this path, because I confirmed this, I opened up QuickTime. I opened up a disk Canary, which is running a native build. I also tried uh, Snagit as well, and no virtual camera input. I was recording at home with my uh, phone, my Android phone, using Irian, which is the application I've always used for doing that kind of thing. And I could not see the virtual camera. I tried uh, inputting into OBS, which is still... Um, still uh, an Intel version, and output through its virtual camera, same effect. I couldn't see it. So I tried the old trick of removing the code signing. And then you get this error, and I think it's mentioned in... um, Not quite, actually, it's not quite the same, but this is one post uh, from the Electric Light Company. There's a couple of posts from their site um, from January of last year when you don't have permissions to run an application not quite the error I was getting, but I think I was getting an error around um, can't be opened or or something like that, which is interesting. So this age-old fix for this problem didn't work anymore. I looked around and I did a lot of digging into this, uh, including posts on Apple Insider, actually from February last year, around some of the extra security that M1 and Apple Silicon was bringing, including this issue. Uh, and also a post uh, again on the Electric Light Company from August 2020. Uh, well, preempting this, Apple Silicon Max will require signed code. And then there's a whole bunch of other posts I read around this. I will try and summarize some of the links, talking about potential fixes and all sorts of things, uh, making ad hoc uh, code signs if the application is open source, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a solution I came across was, if it's a universal application, that is an application that can run in Intel or native, you open up the info, you check a box saying run it in Rosetta, and this would fix the issue. I couldn't get that to, to fix the issue, actually. Um, and, yeah, I couldn't get that to fix the issue, and also it's not always an option, anyway, depending on the application, of course. Um, That said, also the software that came with my camera, the Logitech StreamCam software, wouldn't work at all anymore. It just crashes when you try and open it. So this is obviously a bit of an issue. Uh, A lot of workarounds people had are now broken. And OBS is going to be the big elephant in the room. It's still Intel only, so still working, but people are working on a native version. But what bothers me is as soon as that is shipped... If the virtual camera components of it do not work anymore, that's inputs and outputs, that's going to cause a lot of discussion in its community, which is sizable. Uh, and I'm not seeing many people mentioning this issue, which is it's sometimes hard whether you're looking in the wrong places or you're looking for the wrong terms or just no one is talking about it, but it seems kind of unusual to me that I feel like... Uh, it would affect a lot of people. When OBS does become native, this will affect quite a lot of people. And, well, we'll see what happens. And I'm not 100% sure if anyone realises that that is the case and that will happen. That was another thing that was kind of confounding me. But this got me thinking. Um, I have been an Apple user for a very long time. Or actually, more specifically, a macOS and iOS user. I don't use an iPhone Um and my, my computing persona goes in two very different directions. There is the Apple Mac OS persona, and I kind of almost embraced it more in the past year or so, just because for the most part it worked. And I sometimes got sick of messing around with other options to get them to work when macOS would just work for me. Um, but then you have a problem with Apple, and it's a problem in many, many places with their experience, that you get these niche problems like this uh, and I honestly can't imagine anyone is ever going to fix it. Why does Apple care about virtual camera users? Um, They would rather, if you want to do something like that, use an iPhone and then the problem is gone or maybe there's some other option I'm not aware of. Um, I mean, they're ones who kind of broke the functionality in the first place so why would they fix it? Uh, and then you kind of look at the open source world, and I would say, A, can they provide a solution? If it's a sort of macOS-level problem, can they even provide a solution? And again, do they want to? Um, is the Are the uh, native macOS users too much of a niche that it doesn't matter? There is no motivation to fix that from their end either, and the same applies for all the small little applications like Logitech, Uh, capture application and all these why bother why bother fixing it which puts people like myself in a rather stuck situation you have your kind of operating system vendor who probably has no motivation to fix it you have your open source and proprietary providers who probably have either no capacity or no desire to fix it so what do you do And I don't know. Um, And I don't know if anyone else has come across this problem. I guess this is me summarizing my thoughts on it. And I would love to hear from anyone who has maybe tried this or experienced it or experimented with it or found solutions because it's bugging me at the moment. I can't uh, do some recording techniques that I typically do in certain applications. Um, and yeah, if we can even offer that fix back to the OBS community even better because there will be a native version soon. Yeah, if you have anything to add to that, then you can find uh, my contact details at chrischinchilla.com. As always, would love to hear your thoughts. I will try and spread this discussion wide and and hopefully get some input on it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com. Where you can find show notes sign up for my newsletter and find all of my writing games work and video links there's also details on how to get in touch with me and if you want to get even closer to what i do join my discord server for behind the scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work